Welcome back to Read Into Something. If you've never joined us, thanks for giving it a try. We're about to start another fun podcast episode brought to you by the Stone County Library inside Alice's office at the Crane Branch. As always, I'm Alice, the branch manager. At my side is Winky, my mostly silent but intuitive co-host, and the library mascot. Say howdy, Wink! Today we're talking about far-off places with unusual backgrounds. So grab your peanuts, turn off your cell phones, unless you're listening on one right now, buckle in and hang on while we soar into the mysterious and sometimes haunting strangest places imaginable. Hey, who's flying this thing? Winky, you don't even have a pilot's license! Oh no, my microphone is still on. Um, everything is under control. We'll be arriving at our destination shortly. Probably. The barf bags are located on the seat in front of you, just in case. Phew, we made it. I mean, of course we made it. <laughs> Winky has an excellent sense of direction, except when she doesn't. Anyway... I hope you're ready for a podcast full of exploring, because right now we're going to do some world traveling. Some of these places you may have heard of, but I'm hoping to introduce you to a few that you haven't. Isn't the internet sometimes a wonderful place? We're starting our trip off in New Zealand, south of Australia, hanging out toward the Antarctic. New Zealand is home to the Waitomo Glowworm Caves. 30 million years ago, nature, as it does, decided to get wild with this little part of the world. Small sea animals died and turned into fossils, which in turn created limestone. The earth shifted and lifted the limestone from the sea. It cracked, creating fissures for water to run through, and over the years created caves. These caverns were first discovered by the Maori tribe, supposedly in the late 1700s. By the late 1800s, the Maori chief Tane showed this wonder to English surveyors. Stalactites and stalagmites decorate the tunnels through the caves. They used an entrance where water flowed into the cave. As they drifted along, they came to an area now called the Glowworm Grotto. Why is it called that? Millions of tiny Arachnocampa luminosa, aka glowworms, cling to the ceiling and walls of the cavern. These small creatures are actually fungus gnats native only to New Zealand. Both the larvae and the adults glow. There's a whole lot of scientific jargon on Wikipedia about it if you care to read it. The larvae cling to the cave ceiling, hunting with strings of mucus to catch prey. As the millions of tiny bodies hover over the water, they create a glow that reminded explorers of stars in the sky. They glow thanks to a combination of glowworm chemicals and oxygen. It's believed that the bioluminescence is also a way to keep predators from eating them. According to some sources, the little bugs don't look very special in actual light. In fact, they're downright gross. But inside some of New Zealand's beautiful caves, they're a remarkable sight. Besides glowworms, the caves are also home to albino bats and giant crickets. Okay, I think Winky has control of the plane again. Everybody out and welcome to Japan. However, our destination isn't exactly a happy place. Aokigara is a forest at the foothills of Mount Fuji. You may have heard of it thanks to a 2016 movie with a very original title, The Forest. Although one of the most enchanting forests in the world, it's also known to have a massive amount of suicides. 
It's believed that some 500 poor souls have killed themselves in there. Also known as the Sea of Trees, because even wind has a hard time penetrating the dense foliage, its other nickname, the Suicide Forest, is a lot more sinister. Volunteers annually scout the forest for bodies. Japan has declined to release information about how many people have actually died here. Legend has it that in times of famine, some families brought their elders to the woods to die of starvation or dehydration. Others say that's merely folklore. In days of old, should a samurai somehow bring shame upon himself or his family, he often chose to end his own life. According to mentalfloss.com, while the practice has fallen out of style, it's also something ingrained in Japanese tradition. If you can get around its grisly tales of visitors stumbling over bones or left gawking at corpses hanging in trees, by staying on the trails, you can get majestic views of Mount Fuji and a lava plateau that the forest grows on top of from an eruption that spewed roughly a thousand years ago. But proceed with caution, because not only does the forest sometimes hold unpleasant surprises, it's also iron-rich, meaning your GPS might not work properly. Even if it did, the ground is incredibly rocky, tree roots are thick, and moss covers the floor. It's said that because the trees are so packed together, sound doesn't travel well, and the noise of your own breathing can become unnerving. If the beauty is worth overcoming the seemingly haunted place, Aokigahara may be for you. As for me, I think I'll find another spot to visit. Although our next stop isn't one of my first picks either. Welcome to the Door to Hell, or the Gates of Hell, an everlasting burning crater. Google describes it as a scenic spot in Turkmenistan. Scenic, a gaping hole spanning 230 feet filled with enough gas to burn for over 50 years that's probably going to keep right on burning. What a glowing description. Get it? Glowing? Because it's on fire? Moving on. It's thought that Soviet scientists may have lit it on fire on purpose. Okay, it's believed they did it because they were concerned that nearby villages would suffer harmful effects from the collapsed pocket of natural gas. There's no indication of when it was set on fire. Drilling for gas began in the area in the 1970s, but some reports say it wasn't set on fire until the 80s. Not exactly the ideal vacation spot. Other gas pockets nearby go out because of desert winds, but the gates of hell keep right on burning. The president of Turkmenistan, whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce, originally believed the hole should be closed. However, in 2013, he declared it a nature reserve and would later go on television doing donuts around the hole in a vehicle. The area is known for people camping out in the desert, and you can ride a camel out to see it, if that's your thing. A mere 143 miles away is an underground lake popular for swimming, and it's also home to the largest bat population in Central Asia. Not in the lake, they're in a cave, just so you know. Presumably because no one has invented life jackets small enough to fit a bat. Aw, wouldn't that be cute? A little joke to lighten the gassy atmosphere. A photon checks into a hotel. When the bellhop asks if he has any luggage, the photon says, I don't have any because I'm traveling light. If you'll follow me back to the plane, we're now heading northwest and beverages will be served soon. Welcome to the Hill of Crosses in northern Lithuania. It does what it advertises, but the impressive thing is that no matter what their troubles, the citizens continue to plant crosses in the earth. Lithuania unwillingly became part of Russia in the late 1700s. 
1831 and 1863, they attempted to overthrow this rule. However, they were unsuccessful. Because families couldn't always find the bodies of the rebels, they put crosses at the site of a former hill fort. In 1918, Lithuania was able to declare its independence again. People continued to bring crosses to the site as they prayed for their country and their lost loved ones. From 1944 to 1990, the people fell into rule by the Soviet Union. Nevertheless, they continued the tradition of leaving crosses and staying dedicated to their country. The Soviets bulldozed the site three times and removed as many crosses as they could. Even while KGB patrolled the area to do who knows what to the offenders, the crosses continued to appear. It was rumored Soviet leaders planned to build a dam to try to bury the site underwater. These days, many Catholics still make the pilgrimage to the Hill of Crosses. People are permitted to leave crosses, however, they have a height restriction of almost 10 feet tall. As of 2018, there were 200,000 crosses. If you need a more romanticized story, you can take this one. A poor farmer had a daughter who was very ill. He had a dream in which a woman in white appeared to him and said if he took a cross to the abandoned hill fort, his daughter would be healed. He did as he was instructed, and when he returned home, his daughter was in good health again. Because of the miracle, other people began leaving crosses and praying for their own families. Either way, it's a sight to behold. Let's head southeast to someplace a little more colorful, shall we? Winky, you're getting the hang of this. I think only a couple of listeners got sick that time. Mm -mm, no, I'm not cleaning that up. Ignore that and direct your attention to a lake that's not green, not blue, and not brown. How about pink? Yes, like Pepto. Welcome to Las Salinas de la Torre Vella in Valencia, Spain. On first glance, it may not look pink, but hit it at the right angle and you're gazing at an algae-filled body of water colored by bacteria. The coloration is supposed to keep the bacteria from being damaged by the sun. The algae that makes the color is a type that lives in heavily salted water. The water contains 300 grams per liter, or a typical microwave dinner. Due to salt mining in the area, you can't take a dip. Although apparently you can harvest salt for your own use. Massive piles of it line the shore, and it's been used to harvest salt since the 13th century. The lake spans about 3,500 acres. It's connected to the ocean through a canal. Fun fact, flamingos often visit this lake, and eating the crustaceans that live in the water is what causes their feathers to turn pink. Definitely check out photos of the lake because they look amazing. No filters required. P.S. If you happen to travel to Valencia in March, you can partake in almost burning down the city. They host a huge festival called Las Fias. Fias are giant satirical tableau people. They can take any human form and even look like famous people. On March 19th, the town gets together and sets around 500 of them on fire. Oh look, you still have time to get there if you hurry. Next stop, the UK and the petrifying well of Knaresborough. Living in southwestern Missouri, I know all about mineralization and too much calcium in the water. Well, no pun intended here this time. The people of Knaresborough noticed something strange happening in a well there. Anything that fell into the water turned to stone. Naturally, they assumed witchcraft because how could it be anything else? Part of the well looks like a giant skull. I'm sure the overly concerned mothers of the day warned their children that if they touched the water, they too would turn to stone. That's one way to keep your kids in line. You can leave anything, anything at all, in the water, and over a span of weeks, it will accumulate a stony exterior. 
There are items from the 19th century in the well that look like garden decorations. What's really happening is there's so much sulfate and carbonate in the water, it attaches to anything left behind. It's not petrification, which is when an object's molecules are replaced by stone. This is the outside of, say, a teddy bear, the equivalent of dipping one in concrete and having a new garden statue. But beneath a crusty surface, it's still a cloth teddy bear. Circling back to the idea of witchcraft, while waiting for whatever you dropped in the well to harden, you can also visit Mother Shipton's cave. Who's Mother Shipton? Born Ursula Southhill in 1488, this unusual woman was delivered in a cave. It's believed that she was a soothsayer and a prophetess, or otherwise known as a witch. Folklore tells of her poor 15-year-old mother Agatha, who was seduced by the devil. When Ursula was born, she had a hunchback and bulging eyes. Her first noise was a cackle. Some believe that her mother was also a witch because they lived near the petrifying well. Sadly, when Ursula was a toddler, an abbot took them away from the cave. He got Agatha a place in a convent, and Ursula went to a foster family. They never saw each other again. Despite growing up loved in a foster family, she was still described as hunchback and possibly had crippled legs. She was never truly accepted into society. This led to her spending time in the woods where she learned the healing properties of plants. And despite the tales of her ugliness, she met a man named Toby Shipton, who she married. Naturally, everyone suspected her of bewitching him. When he died, the townspeople, mind you, people she helped, decided she probably killed Toby. She left town and moved back into the cave of her birth. Nevertheless, she continued working with herbs to help anyone who asked. She was able to make small predictions, and people came to her to find lost things and find out what the future held. People came from far away to ask for herbs and potions. She even made a prophecy about Henry VIII and the havoc he would wreak upon the Catholic Church. Say, what do witches learn in school? Spelling. All right, ladies and gents, we have time for one more stop on this tour. I didn't intend for it to be this creepy, but it swung that way, so we're finishing up with one more place out of the norm. Prepare yourself for the Island of the Dolls. There's an artificial island south of Mexico City that's home to thousands of dolls. Why? Good question. In the 1950s, a man named Julian Santana Barrera left his family and moved to this island. While he was out on the shore, he discovered the body of a young girl, or perhaps he imagined it. Either way, he couldn't forget her. He was afraid his island had become haunted by this girl who wouldn't leave his waking or sleeping life. To ward off her ghost, he began collecting dolls. They're hung, nailed, and placed everywhere on the island, just decaying in the humid atmosphere. However, he remained friendly to visitors who came to see his creepy collection. He often traded food he grew on the island for new dolls. He made no attempt to repair broken or damaged dolls. Every shape and size was good enough for him to display. He believed they would protect him, no matter what the state. He was discovered dead in 2001 in the same place he claimed to have discovered the drowned girl. His nephew now cares for the island and its spooky dead-eyed dolls. If you're interested in more, there's a pretty funny video on YouTube by the creators of a show called BuzzFeed Unsolved. The hosts of the show go to this island during one season as they investigate the paranormal. The big takeaway from their experience is that there are a lot of spiders, more spiders than dolls, so I'm good. No need to ever actually set foot on that island. In fact, I think maybe we should burn it. But if you're brave enough, feel free to bring a doll of your own for the collection. I wonder if the dolls like jokes. How about this one? What do you call a bunch of dolls waiting in line? A barbecue. Thank you for joining us on Read Into Something Airlines. Your pilot Winky hopes you had a smooth flight. She accepts milk bones as tips.
Watch your head and your step as you depart because no one cleaned up that mess, Winky. Ah! Hey, you flew. You caused it. Don't argue with me. Okay, fine. I'll get the Lysol. On the next episode, join us in the kitchen again because we've got another wild recipe to share with you. It's possible you're really going to like it. That's your hint for what I'm serving up. Don't forget to visit the Stone County Library Facebook page where you can stay up to date on news and activities and interact with other library patrons. And please visit the podcast Twitter page. Come find us at twitter.com slash podcast for podcast updates, fun facts, interesting links, pictures of Winky, and book-related memes. Once again, thanks for joining us. Don't forget, if you like read into something, please leave us a review or a rating. It means a lot to us. Thanks. See you next time. Allison Winky out. Disclaimer. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to Alice and not necessarily to her employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual.